Thank you for tuning in to Marketing Minds, episode 15. Today, I'm joined by Steven Snyder, the one, the only. Um, man, I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, looking forward to talking about LinkedIn, personal branding, coaching, and just you know your your history, how you got into marketing, and, and some of that fun stuff. So really appreciate you joining today. Yeah, thank you. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, the first question I always ask every guest that I bring on you know, tell me a little bit about how you got into marketing. Yeah, so I I went to school for finance. Well, originally went for marketing, and then halfway through my undergrad, I switched actually to finance because I was like, you know, if I'm going to go to school, I might as well learn something that's a little bit harder than things you can learn in you know YouTube and courses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So switched to finance and uh, was going to go down that route. Pretty much, you know, set for the MBA finance bro fast track. And then <laughs> last like six months, uh, right leading up into graduation, uh, a friend of mine showed me pretty much how to make money online through affiliate marketing, introduced me to SEO. Um, and I was just blown away by the opportunity. Uh, this was back before a lot of the product Google algorithm updates. So it was still somewhat mm-hmm. of like the Wild West. You know, you could still get away with, um, I mean, not like black hat SEO tactics, but, you know, it was much easier to rank. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so yeah, we, once I learned that, you know, it was kind of like head down, he became a mentor, showed me how to, you know, fix up niche micro WordPress sites, learned SEO under him and kind of just became a sponge. And, um, yeah, we started developing like a small portfolio of sites still in school. He already had a few. So it kind of started to, I think we had like two or three between us. Um, and then he had two or three with his other partner and then the three of us merged and kind of went full steam ahead and long story short, we kind of quickly grew that into like a 40 website portfolio, scaled that to like 300 ish articles per month, um, and had like a team of 30, just pretty much cranking those things out, buying, flipping sites. Um, yeah, it was a blast. Yeah. That's a, that's a fun, uh, space to be in at, at a fun time yeah. in the space for sure. Um, that's awesome. You know, uh, so on fast track to be a finance bro, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. and then, and then quickly diverted by the, the idea of internet money, right. Turn words into money, do, do some, yeah. you know, quick, quick yeah, I work. Had, right? I, I had never even, I mean, I felt so sheltered looking back on mm-hmm. it. Cause I had no idea that you could even, they'd never even heard of SEO. I like, I honestly didn't even know what Google drive was back then. Like that's how like, you know, college really just exposed <laughs> mm-hmm. me to so much so quickly. And, yeah. uh, yeah, once I learned that and he told I me, mean, he was in college, uh, obviously we went to school together and I think junior year or senior year, he was already making, you know, his couple of his sites were making like over 10 K per month. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. why are you in school? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? What is your like, plan? Yeah, the ball back. Yeah. And once I kind of learned that that level of money was not only available to make, but like was like made by my friend who like, I'm looking mm-hmm. at his Amazon accounts. I'm looking at like these sites and I'm like, it's very tangible. It became very realistic. Like I think yeah. many, it's very easy to see a lot of these like gurus and just think like, Oh, I'm never going to get there. Like it just seems yeah. so out of reach, all this sort of stuff. But like when my best friend was showing me that he was doing it and showing me how he could, like, you know, it was very like, okay, cool. It's just, let's just do this. Yeah. Like, me, I'm not going to focus on finance. Like that already sounds like it sucks. Like, let's just do yeah. this. Yeah. It, it reminds me of, um, 
I don't know if you know who Alex Formosi is, but he's he's uh, oh, talked yeah. about this before. That. But um, yeah, yeah I've got hundred million dollar offers is over there behind me. <laughs> um, no, but one of the things that I've I've heard him say before is that like when you get into a room of uh, like there's there's like this invisible curtain um, of success that like you don't know what you don't know, and then like when you get into that like when you draw that curtain back and you get in there, you're like, Oh, this is normal. Like everybody's like this, whatever. And then you realize there's another curtain and you get that. And then there's another curtain behind that. Right. And you just kind of level up and you look back and you're like, how does like everybody not know this? This seems like, yeah. you know, this seems so normal. And like, you're basically just reaching this new level of not just like ability, but just understanding of the way the world is working and like the opportunities yeah. available to you that I feel like you open your friend opened a new curtain for you. And it <laughs> yeah, reminds he, me of another, just open it wide not forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's one of those things too, where you're like, you know, nothing bad towards your friend, but like, sometimes you like get into a situation where like that, that guy can make that much. That guy can do if he can do it. I can do it, right? Like, oh yeah, I know that absolutely. guy. He's a that guy's an idiot. This guy doesn't, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And it's like, so when you see a friend doing something like that, or even not a friend, but just somebody like in your circle, right? You just see somebody doing mm-hmm. something incredible, or that has like these amazing case studies or this amazing story. You're like, if that guy can do it, I definitely can do it. Like, okay, and it gives you that kind of validation that you need to just dive into something head first. Um, well, I love it. I love that story. I love that space. You know, it's actually a bubble that I, I don't want to know if it's called a bubble, but you know, it's a, it's an industry that definitely had a bubble at one point, And then now is much more challenging, right? It's, you can still do microsites. You can still build a big portfolio. That's, that's definitely still there, but it's not what it, as easy as it was back then. So always bummed. I miss that, miss that train. What was like, some of those first projects like can you can you walk me through a little bit like what was that like when you started building your first microsites you know and for maybe the people listening who don't understand niche microsite right maybe they're they're not aware of what that means like what does that business model look like and what were you effectively building in the in the early days yeah so quick overview of just kind of what those are um they're pretty much blocks just like very specialized blogs so um you know it pretty much just be about one topic or at least one central category so um for example the first site that i ever touched and learned on was a barbecue website it was uh pretty much just a website about like barbecues smokers um i think we went into like air fryers pretty much like anything that overlaps or kind of does that but you wouldn't want to write you wouldn't want to do like obscure things just because it's like a kitchen item, but um, pretty much the more relevant they are to the core topic, the better chances you have of ranking in Google. So pretty much what we would do is we would write um, like best XYZ article. So it'd be like best electric smoker under $500, like more long tailed keywords. Um, These are all search phrases that people would search for in Google. And then in their hunt, pretty much to identify the best, we would do a roundup article of the top five. We would, you know, write about the pros and cons and what people thought about them and optimize, you know, all of them for SEO. And then as those articles rank in Google, readers find them, they click through to Amazon, and then Amazon offers a, you know, commission structure on any sales or any kind of, you know, transactions that are generated as a result of that click. Um, the nice thing, which is, most people don't realize also, is that any affiliate who's using Amazon Associates, which is the name of the program, 
also has a 24 hour cookie attached to it for all mm -hmm. Amazon products. So, um, pretty much, and even if they don't buy the product too, so like somebody could buy, you know, click through aiming to buy that barbecue and say they, you know, decided against it. Well, say they come back three hours later and buy a set of headphones for a birthday gift. We would still get a cut on that, you know, the headphones mm -hmm. because it's within that 24 hour window. So being that Amazon is the behemoth that Amazon is, you know, it's more of a volume numbers game at that point. So, mm -hmm. um, transactions rack up commissions rack up back then the commission rates were higher too, which was great. Um, I think when I started, they were maximum like 10%, which is just crazy to think mm -hmm. about now. Um, yeah, that's huge. they've since <laughs> cut them to, I think the highest is like a maybe six, but I think it's like ranges mm -hmm. on like a 3% commission right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you sell, you sell like a $500 barbecue. I mean, you're making 50 bucks per sale or like, you know, whatever, yeah. 60 bucks per sale. Um, and that's you know, for essentially no work. I mean, you're writing the article, you're doing the SEO, you're doing right. all that sort of stuff. But those micro sites are, yeah, it's just this passive. Like once it sits there, you know, it just kind of, you know, obviously you have to update the articles and maintain and housekeeping items. But it's not like you're fulfilling products. You're not doing inventory. You're not holding anything. There's no returns. I mean, they can return yeah. the product, obviously, but it's not like these yeah. drop shipping companies or anybody else talks about. It's a pretty passive right. system. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to. Uh, you don't have to do sales calls. You don't have to do product yep. demos. You don't have to no build the product, service. do the shipping, exactly. do the yeah, none of it. So it's like crazy, cool. I mean, honestly, that was a really good explanation of what a niche microsite is. Thank you for that. Um, so yeah. so let's like speed up a little bit. So you guys are pounding through this. Did you finish college, or did you decide to go all in on yep. that and and bail on that? No, no, I finished. Um, got my. Did you ever use your degree? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I use, no. I mean, I'm, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I work in spreadsheets every day, you know, I'm right. pretty good at Excel and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. That's pretty much the, there's a lot of like analysis that goes into any sort of strategy yeah. in business. So I would say that's kind of the peak, but corporate yeah. finance, like, you know, didn't get you a job, you know, debt <laughs> markets and all, no, yeah, <laughs> I, would have, exactly. I would have been very, very depressed very early on. It's not a fun topic. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I see like so many marketers either don't complete college, like they drop out of it, or they complete it and then they're like, "I never used my degree; it was a total waste." Yeah, <laughs> they're like, you know, I didn't need this. I just, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't do anything with it. So curious there, fun, fun stuff. So, I mean, well, kudos for sticking to it, even though you obviously had this very profitable other thing going on, this big project. Um, so let's let's speed up a little. At what point did you decide that that venture was no longer the main venture and what, what kind of led up to that decision? And, and then what were the next steps after that? Uh, you're about like the, just the company in general or like that site? Yeah. Like when, when did you go like, okay, I've had my phone with these niche sites. Like we built this big thing. And then like, mm -hmm. at what point did oh, you say, okay, now I'm going to do something else. And like, why, why, why did you make that move? Yeah. So that I, I left the company in March of 2022 um, you know, we had scaled, you know, pretty big. We went all the way to like the 40 sites I talked about. We made, you know, over a million dollars in revenue from the sites. Um, we pumped it out and like, I think it was like a three year run. So mm -hmm. it was pretty much a big sprint. Um, and then COVID changed the game, um, mm -hmm. pretty much, you know, um, <laughs> in addition to flipping the world upside down it also flips, you know, marketing, everything upside down. Uh, there's a couple of black swan events with, um, Amazon cut their commission tiers by 
over half. So yeah. anything that was, I mean, obviously we were using um, a couple of different affiliate programs outside of Amazon, but Amazon, you know, our revenue was just overnight, no control. Um, that sucked. The other was Google was really cracking down specifically on product review websites. Um, it was pretty common for people to kind of try to spam the system and, you know, pretty much use black hat SEO strategies in order to rank these sites because, you know, while Amazon only had an 8% commission, there are easily, you know, higher commissions out there. For example, one of our, the very first site we ever bought was a, an adult toy website and mm -hmm. they had 20% commissions on everything. Wow. And that was insane. Um, so you can imagine just how quickly, you know, those sites can grow when you get more commission tied to it. So right. they're pretty easy to abuse if you're using malicious tactics. But um, yeah, long story short, there was a lot of changes, a lot of risks on the table. And I was kind of trying to plan what my next steps looked like. Um, so I decided it was a good point for me to kind of take what I had learned and, you know, kind of move on from there. And so I took a year off and at that point was just kind of coasting around trying to figure out what was next. I built a Etsy digital product shop and kind of dove into the digital product world, which was a fun little thing. Didn't really make much money, but it's still there alive and kicking. It's kind of like a passive thing. Now I yeah. know how to make Something digital to learn products, about. but yeah. Um, and then around the new year, I decided it was probably time to get a real job, quote unquote. <laughs> so I real, entered the job market. Job. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, yeah, so I, I work full time right now at a tech startup and doing affiliate management. So I opposite yeah. end of the spectrum, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, kind of that's when I was exposed to what I would call like new LinkedIn and kind of like the new version of LinkedIn. And then mm -hmm. really kind of fell in love with personal branding and the idea of creating content around, you know, entrepreneurship, personal branding, personal development, business in general, SEO, marketing. Um, and kind of see the opportunity that exists within LinkedIn. Yeah. So went to college to be a finance guy, got a buddy who opened the curtain and showed you what was possible by riding the affiliate wave and building niche microsites. That wave started to die down mid to post COVID identifying what was next, took some time off to, you know, find that next big thing that you wanted to focus on. And now you're back in the other side of it now you're actually on the company side of the affiliate relationship kind of establishing affiliates managing those relationships sure growing nurturing doing all the stuff that you would do there and then on the side falling in love with linkedin through the process of building this affiliate network and like the process of linkedin building a personal brand and so that's now that's now your your new wave your new big thing yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, I still work, you know, full time. So the LinkedIn thing is definitely a, uh, uh, you know, it's it's a slow grind, and I think that it's going to be what I would consider my next three to five year bet. Um, yeah, I definitely, when I kind of look at the big picture, and Alex and Rosie, you know, going back to him, really kind of honed, drilled this into me. Um, you know, I think that he talked about the fact you might have heard it with talks about his starting his YouTube channel, and mm -hmm. how he told his video editor, hey, we're just going to do this for five years. And then at that point, we'll decide whether it's worth doing again. And his video <laughs> editor was shocked at the fact that, you know, his clients are usually like, how can we get growth within 90 days? I need an ROI yeah. by, you know, six weeks. And he's yeah. like, 
I'm just going to do this for five years. And at five years, we can decide whether it's worth doing for another five years. And I yeah. think that that really clicked for me because it's so easy to be flipped upside down in your strategies by shiny mm -hmm. object syndrome and mm -hmm. always trying to chase the carrot and trying to get off course. But at the end of the day, like if you can just pick something and be really good at it for a long time and yeah. you know, you're bound to find success. And so that's kind of how I see LinkedIn and just kind of inching toward building the audience, building the community, building the consistency and the habit. Then, you know, at the end of three years is kind of where I'm going to see like, okay, where can we take this from here and kind of what have mm -hmm. we built and what's next? Yeah. How long are you into that process? Would you say? Six months. So I started yeah. at the new year of this year. So yeah, I usually, yeah. I mean, within the give and take, but I usually say January 1st, just cause it's easier to remember. Yeah. Easier to remember for sure. Yeah. I think, <laughs> so I started sometime around July of last year. I think it was maybe like okay. mid to late July last year. Um, so I'm coming up on my, my one year anniversary of, of doing LinkedIn series. I mean, I've had a LinkedIn since like, I don't know, 2014, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it was like a resume until, till July mm -hmm. of last year. Right. And then it was like, okay, I'm actually going to show up here every week, every, every, every day, every couple of days, whatever I can manage yeah. with my schedule, I'm going to be posting content. I'm going to be, you know, sharing my, my knowledge, the things I'm, I'm good at, the things I'm not good at, you know, and, and making uh, connections and impacts and networking and all that stuff. And yeah, it's been huge for me. And, and I think, you know, you would probably say the same thing that it's been huge. I mean, what is the, what is it about LinkedIn that you feel like now is the time, like this is the, the window to explore that kind of, as you say, three year, right? Like measure it for three years and to decide how, how you're going from there. You know, you can only make so many bets in your life. So why LinkedIn for that? Yeah, I think there's a few things. I think that the first is we already missed the first wave of really easy LinkedIn growth. And what I mean by that are, you know, there's, there's people who are the top influencers right now. You know, we see the Justin Welsh's, the, mm -hmm. um, you know, the Lara's, the, you know, the Jay, you know, Ryan Musselman, you name them and everyone knows their name. They mm -hmm. obviously are crushing because they showed up earlier than we did. Um, and they're still staying consistent, all that sort of stuff. Um, I think that we are in phase two of that. And I still think that it's still early, like meaning that everyone's flocking to TikTok. Everyone's still on Instagram. Everyone's on Facebook. Um, no one's really on LinkedIn. Everyone still thinks mm -hmm. it's this job platform with corporate stuffy. I'm just here to mm -hmm. find a job and I'm going to leave it. You know, same reason why both of us have had a LinkedIn since high school, probably mm -hmm. whatever, and used it only purely to have a resume platform. And yeah. then we came back in creator mode. I mean, creator mode's only been around since 2021. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I mean, just look at how much that's already grown. And so I think that it's a really good right place, right time opportunity right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that we will see, I and mean, we already have seen like, you know, Gary B, Alex Ramosi, these people who have, you know, the upper hand across all platforms, they're starting to post content on LinkedIn like we are. And mm -hmm. I think that if they're doing it, it's probably a pretty good sign that we should too. But there's so right. many people that are just avoiding it because either A, they don't know, or B, they just don't know how to do it. And I think that doing this now will kind of allow us to get that upper hand once all of the TikTok entrepreneurship gurus flock to LinkedIn and we're already here, ready to go. 
it's going to be, yeah. you know, I always kind of use the analogy. It's like, we're going to be, you know, pretty much selling pickaxes during a gold rush when we can yeah. sell the, how to be a personal brand, how to be coaches, you know, the, the courses, et cetera, because mm. everyone else is going to need help figuring out how to do it. Um, and I think not only on that sense from the personal branding standpoint, but we saw the same exact thing happen with TikTok and Instagram and Facebook is that these brands need it. They can't ignore it, but they don't know how to use it. They don't know how to leverage mm -hmm. it. They don't know the strategies, the engagement tactics, the community aspects. And so they're going to come to people like us who do. And I think that that power is going to be very um, valuable at some point. Yeah. So that's kind of why I think that it's, it's good yeah. to at least acknowledge and double down on. Agreed, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think LinkedIn's at such an interesting point because there are these, you know, case studies, so to speak, of like people who are incredibly successful using LinkedIn as a platform to build awareness for themselves, for the brands they are affiliated with, for their own companies, you know, the work they're doing, whatever the case may be. Right? You, you named some great examples there, right? Um, what I think that I'm, you know to piggyback on what you're saying of like, we're still early, even though they were earlier, we're still early in the process. Um, I think companies as a whole and, and like brands as a whole are ultimately some of the biggest drivers when it comes to social, because uh, from a, from an institutional perspective, from like a marketing perspective, the work historically that's done on social is from like companies it's company profiles it's like social media marketers at the companies like coordinating content calendars and like doing all this stuff and yes the consumers use it but i think especially on a platform like linkedin businesses are what drive it right it's what drives the direction of like what uh, of like the adoption of the platform and the unadoption of the platform and all of those kind of things and i think especially in b2b Everybody knows like you need to be on LinkedIn, your prospects are on LinkedIn, your your you know, your audience is on LinkedIn, your buyers are on LinkedIn, whatever, right? Your team is on LinkedIn, they're using it to recruit, right? All of those things. I think D2C is maybe a little behind, but but B2B certainly is there. But what is what I'm still seeing is the is like the Facebook content model where there's a company page and all the content comes out of the company page and it's very branded and corporate and put together and they have this roadmap of like the brand vision and all this which is fine like there's a place for that certainly especially in like a large company but what we've seen especially linkedin is most impactful are individuals it's it's like you you didn't mention a single brand when you just rattled off all the big right. names those were just people and it's because yeah, that, exactly. that's what's winning and that's what's successful on the platform. Um, and creators have that down, like, because they're just creators, they have maybe a single service business or they sell digital products or whatever they do, but they're individuals. So they are their brand. It's not a company. And so they've figured that out faster than companies have. But I think companies are starting to wake up and realize like, oh, you know, if our CEO posts content five days a week, that bleeds over into the company getting awareness. And it's not just about the CEO having their personal brand, but it's about how does that brand bleed over into all the things that that CEO is associated with, the partnerships, the customer interactions, the new product updates, the whatever, right? And so it can have an effect on a much grander scale. I think the more we haven't hit that phase yet where we have mass company adoption of personal brands, but it's like, yeah. I hear it, you know, and I'm sure you do too. Like I hear that buzz 
of like, you know, oh, the CMO is going to start like posting TikToks and the CMO is going to like start making LinkedIn carousels and whatever. Oh, the, the CEO yeah. is going to do this. And like, we need to get thought leadership content, you know, all of these things I'm hearing it, but I'm not seeing it at the scale that is going to need to happen for LinkedIn to truly be not the next big thing, right? Right now we're in that phase where it's not happened yet. So there's like this gold rush period where the first ones to adopt, the first ones, both from a company perspective, they'll like do that, have thought leaders do that kind of thing, but also still creators. Like there's just not a lot of competition in the feed still for that. But I do see that's coming and it's going to get harder. Um, and so this, it is a golden window, certainly, where we're still early. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, hot take warning. I actually, <laughs> I'm not a huge proponent of employees posting on behalf of their employer. Yeah. Um, not because I don't think it doesn't work, but I think that it's a very high risk thing, um, mm -hmm. not only for the company, but I think it's also high risk for the employee who's doing it. And what I mean by that is turnover is so high nowadays with people either getting bored with remote or having to go back to the office mm -hmm. and, you know, you know, just leaving the company, looking for change, doing the corporate ladder every two year flip. There's a lot of reasons why people leave jobs and it's mm -hmm. volatile. And I think that from looking at it from the employee's perspective, you know, maybe it's the entrepreneur in me who feels like it's wrong to almost brand yourself as this identity attached to the corporate kind of company. Mm -hmm. So say, you know, you're posting content for two years at a company. Well, now you're essentially branded as that company. And then yep. you go to the next company and your entire audience who followed you for that content originally is not, is going to produce lower engagement on your content moving yep. forward. It, it just doesn't make sense. And so now, I mean, especially if you change career paths or you, you know, say you go to competitor, say you go to a competitor, like your entire brand personal brand at that point is kind of tarnished. Yeah, um, and then if you look at it, yeah, exactly. And then if you look at it from the company's perspective, you have to either train them how to be a good personal brand person. Like what's the strategy there? Um, and I think that it also kind of, there is a, an ethical conversation around the whole, you know, should we ask our employees to post on our behalf or is it, you know, there's just a lot of, there's a lot to unpack. And yeah. when it comes to that entire thing, but I a hundred percent agree that founders and maybe CEOs, maybe not CMOs, but, um, founders definitely, because the, the passion of the product and the vision for the company is what people connect to. They connect mm -hmm. to that story. They connect to the person on the other end, which is the personal brand. And I think that that holds true, but I think that we're definitely going to see company pages have a very, very unique strategy for B2B. I mean, that's something I've been working on over the past couple of months is trying to map out what a B2B strategy looks like and trying mm -hmm. to kind of develop that from a coaching perspective, a workshop perspective, um, because it's so much different than personal brand content. You know, you can't, it's a lot, you know, everyone posts the how I do this, but it's a lot of how we, but it's not as easy as just changing we to I or I to we. Um, yeah. There's a whole other can of worms that comes with funnels and 
you know, bottom funnel, top of funnel strategies and how to connect to your customer testimonials. There's a lot there instead of just saying how I, you know, six strategies to stay consistent. It's like, that doesn't really work on a company page. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and like, um, I agree with you. So, so to, I want to touch on two things that you said there actually. So you touched on not having employees post both for, for like the employees sake, right. To not tie yourself to a company and its brand and then like move yourself away. I think, I think if you're going to be an employee of a company and you want to build a personal brand, it's okay to talk about your work from time to time, but you need to be diligent about it's not all you talk about, right? Like, like if you're going to, if you're, I don't know, a tax accountant and you know, you want to post all the time on LinkedIn, but you want to talk about, you know, maybe the tax accountant industry in general and like be known to be part of the industry do that. And then maybe like 5% of your posts, you mentioned, by the way, I work at class tax LLC and you know, whatever, right? Like, and mention that, you know, from time to time, because maybe it does help you in your work or, you know, it helps you get that promotion or do whatever, you know, or, or just in general, maybe you're tied to the business's success, right? Like sales roles and some of those things. Somewhere else, like exactly now your portfolio and your CV is now a content. Exactly feed exactly it's like hey i have ten thousand followers who follow me because they know i'm knowledgeable about taxes yep. now your company should pay me 10 grand more than that <laughs> other applicant because you're also getting my 10k followers with me yeah. and that's like you know, the value you're bringing right so i think there's absolutely value to building personal brand as an individual um but make it about what you're passionate about or the industry that you're in and not the business specifically Tie it in whenever you feel com- comfortable doing that, but don't make it ninety percent of your content. Don't make it fifty percent of your content. Like keep it, keep it um, reasonable. If people want to explore the place that you work at, they can find it. It's on your profile. There's links to it. It doesn't mean that it needs to be the topic of every post you make and and those kind of things. So you could definitely leverage a personal brand as an employee without pissing off your employer and without <laughs> ignoring your employer at the same time. Um, and from the employer's perspective, right? Like that is probably the biggest challenge about it's like, oh, we should have our employees post on LinkedIn. It's like, okay, well, now we have to come up with what they're going to say because they're not going to yeah. say it right if we don't come up with it for them. And then, okay, well, we now we need to make sure that we write it in a way that makes sense for every single person, you know, and, and then you just end up down this rabbit hole where it's like, okay, now we have 500 people posting the exact same post. That doesn't make sense. You know, so like there's a whole process there. So I think for employers, it's okay to certainly encourage it. Um, I mean, I think I think there's nothing wrong with encouraging your your employees to be proud of the work they do and to talk about you when they feel passionate about talking about you. But it should by no means means be required. And if you're going to encourage them, you have to be willing to give them the freedom to say things their way. Right. And that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of companies, but that is what it is, right? Because if employees are afraid to say, to post something because they think they might get fired or get in trouble because the way they worded it or whatever, they're certainly not going to post about you. So you got to choose. You either don't want employees to post at all and you tell them that, or you encourage it and you accept the consequences, right? Yeah, Um, it's it's slippery slope too. And there's one more thing that came to mind is that I think there's also... I mean, unfortunately, there are some companies that don't let 
employees, you know, grow a personal brand. Um, wow. I have a, a very close friend of mine who works at a very, very large, very well-known tech company that I will not name. And there was a period of time where they had to, you know, go through a um, certain project. It was like a classified project. And they just straight up told them, no, like you can't post on LinkedIn during this time. So you're under NDA contract. And it wasn't even about the fact that they were posting content about the project or about their work. It was just more or less about the fact that any, any like 1% overlap just was off limits. And so that's mm -hmm. pretty toxic in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, I, I get it. You know, in some cases there's going to be, you know, like an FBI agent with a personal brand might be weird, right? It might be a problem. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, but at the same time, mo like I, I think it's very um, dystopian to think that a company can control an individual's freedom to express themselves in person or online, right? Like, you know, that that's like saying I can't talk to my best friend because I'm on an NDA right now and like that's the project, right? And, you know, so, some employers will be like, well, then don't work here, work somewhere else. But, you know, I think it's not necessarily... Um, the right approach, but that's a whole can of worms we we could dig into. The, yeah, um, the whole podcast in itself. <laughs> yeah, that that's whew, yeah, we're getting crazy here. Um, and then there <laughs> there was one other thing that you uh, touched on there when we were talking about uh, personal branding for you know employees versus employers. And oh my goodness, I was hoping that it would come back to me in the long sentence that I was just saying, and it didn't. <laughs> Um, let's, let's keep going and maybe it'll come back to me. So for you as an employee of a company building a personal brand, what's that like for you and how's that relationship been? Yeah, it's, I mean, luckily, thankfully my, where I work, they've been extremely supportive. Um, mm -hmm. and I actually started this entire journey before I worked there. Um, I got hired in February. So like I said, you know, started January was probably already a month in nowhere near where I was now. It's not like I'm a big follower, big creator anyway, but you know, I wasn't, I was maybe posting twice a week or three days a week, still trying mm -hmm. to figure it out. Now I post every day. Um, and I think it's been actually more beneficial, not only, I mean, the fact that I can have that freedom and that, you know, support has been great, but I mean, I've been also you know, very happily, happy to share my strategies with, you know, the company I've hosted an internal workshop with the content team, trying to help them kind of support the company page and kind of adopt some better LinkedIn strategies. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of a good win-win for both sides. Um, but I think that the weirdest thing was the fact that, uh, you know, we post on LinkedIn and it's, you can hide behind this digital screen and you can, you know, Put on this front and that's mm -hmm. it is what it is you log off and you go to your living room and you know you reply to comments on your phone but you know the fact that it's funny i have uh we go on walks after lunch every day as part of our kind of like you know three-person friend group and they're always like your post is, is your post doing good today because i got notified to like it and i was like yeah yeah it is <laughs> and so nice. like it's funny to see people uh you know you can't really hide you know you have to be very vulnerable and open and real with mm -hmm. the idea that everyone's going to read it no matter what and everyone in the room who can talk to me about it can also come up to me and say hey i saw you post on linkedin today or 
you know, kind of have that, it removes that almost the digital veil that is the protection, you know, and uh, it's a whole different element. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting, right? Whenever you know, it's the same thing for, um, um, you know, so when I started my newsletter, which I started at the same time that I was doing LinkedIn, uh, when I, I was like, I decided I was going to launch both those things at the same time. And I was going to, I'm going to do this LinkedIn thing every day. I'm going to do a newsletter every week and they're going to grow each other. It's going to be this whole thing. And the company I was working at at the time, like, you know, I, I had some people subscribe to my, to my newsletter. Um, and it's even more, I don't know why, but it's even more daunting there because it's like LinkedIn, you've got, you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, whatever followers, right. And you see everybody and you're like, it's this big melting pot. Like maybe they'll see it. Maybe they won't the algorithm, you know, whatever. With the newsletter, it's like, you know, every email in that list, they're receiving it, you know, like without a doubt, like they're going to receive it. And so I can see by name, every individual that worked at the company I worked at that was subscribed to it. So every time I hit send, I was like, okay, the, the, you know, you know, the CEO is going to see this. It looks like somebody from the product team is going to see this, the what, you know, whatever. And I could add a list to like, I don't know, there's like 12 people from the company and I think on it or whatever. And it was just a hodgepodge. And I never asked them to subscribe. They just kind of found it on their own and subscribed to it. But it was always one of those things. It's like, I wonder what they're going to think. I was just in a meeting with them like an hour ago. I wonder what they're going to think about that. And like, whatever, you know? And it's, yeah, it's, it's weird. You know, it's a weird dynamic, but, um, you know, you got to find an organization that's really supportive of that kind of thing. And like either they need to be supportive or they need to just ignore it and pretend like they have no idea it exists like that. Those are the two realities of, of what that like healthy personal brand to employer relationship looks like. And while you were talking, it came back to me what that other thing I was going to say was. So you mentioned like definitely for founders and CEOs, like having a personal brand that can then have overlays with the company, because like as a CEO and founder, you're the leader of the company your personal brand is almost synonymous with the company, right? Like anything you say is going to reflect good or bad on the company itself, right? So, you know, if the CEO of Walmart posted something, it doesn't matter what it is, people are going to be like, Walmart said, you know? So, um, but I've also found other executive roles. I think, I think, I really truly think if done properly, anybody in the C-suite can have a really successful personal brand. I've seen a good example is HubSpot, right? So Darmesh, if you're not familiar, he's the CTO of HubSpot and he works on, he's a founding member. So, you know, going back to founders, I guess, but um, he works on the product side, right? So he's coding, he's talking about dev stuff. He talks a little bit about SEO here and there, right? But it's mostly product and technical and software and whatever. But he ha- has a very active personal brand and a very loyal like following base. Like people see Darmesh's stuff and get hyped about it, right? When he posts, like people are there. That's how that's how it is our place too. It. Yeah, right. And and it connects directly. Like it's it's almost synonymous with the HubSpot brand, right? When anybody who knows of him, when they think of HubSpot, they also think of him, right? And I think really any C-suite role can achieve that. Um, but, you know, it, it can be tough because you have to have the right personality for it because some people are just not wired for social, you know, especially in America's current C-suite, right? Unless you're in like a startup environment, right? Where you're obviously in a startup environment, the average founder, the average C-suite is much younger. But I think, you know, in established companies, the C-suite is often 
much older, much more old business, especially when you get into like CFOs and CTOs, they're very technical people, often not extroverts, right? So it'd be very hard for them to establish personal brands in, in any of the work you've done or, or, um, you know, people that you've talked with, you know, have you, do you have any like best practices for people who wouldn't necessarily identify as an extrovert in terms of trying to build a personal brand or trying to at least get started and testing the waters with, with, uh, doing more with LinkedIn or any other platform really? Yeah, I think that, the, the biggest thing, because I mean, I was definitely in that bucket when I first started, um, and it really comes down to building community, I think, and mm-hmm. just engaging with others. Um, so if you're not going to, I mean, I always say like, you know, posting content is great, but it's not going to grow your account. You know, it will pretty slowly. But if you only post content and don't engage, your accounts go nowhere. But if you only mm-hmm. engage, your account will grow without a doubt. And so the idea of using comments to stir up conversations or replying to people's posts and using those comments almost as like little mini posts. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I mean, you can create a comment that, you know, is well thought out, adds some thought leadership value, it's structured well, it uses symbols and broken up by bullet points, et cetera. And that is a piece of content. I mean, just because Mm -hmm. you're not directly posting it on your profile, you are posting it. Um, people can go to your profile and sort your activity by comments, just like they can sort it by posts. And so I think that that's a really good way to warm up to the idea of getting comfortable being online and being in front of people and kind of entering the melting pot of, you know, digital marketing activity, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, once you get that, and what I did early on too was, you know, keep track of those comments and, you know, be a little bit more analytical on which ones performed well. And then just take that and convert it to a post. So, you know, if you have a certain post that or a certain comment that, you know, maybe you got five or six likes, which is for a comment, it's pretty high, I would say, just yeah. because so many people will just skim over it. But if you notice that one can't one comment stands out, like copy and paste it, turn it into a post and see where that mm-hmm. goes. And I think that there's really no downside to doing that. And it also kind of almost gives you a little bit more encouragement when you go that way, because you're not saying like, is this going to flop? Well, you already have data that says it's not going to, or the chances of it flopping are less. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's a really good way is just like stirring up conversation in comments and then also, you know, moving to DMs or doing collabs. Collabs are great too. Um, and doing something that maybe doesn't put the spotlight directly on you and kind of gives you a little bit of, of um, you know, some broom to breathe in the terms of bouncing ideas off each other, editing styles, carousel designs, all that sort of stuff. Um, and kind of just taking a lot of the like group project mentalities that we typically see in the workplace or in school or college, wherever you want to call it, and applying those straight to LinkedIn. And there's really no difference aside from the fact that you're just on social media. Yeah, 100%. I want, I want to touch on two things there. So one, 100% would agree with you from the comment perspective. Like comments, I mean... In the, especially in the context of LinkedIn, which is what we're mostly talking about here, is it are incredibly powerful. It's probably the number one growth factor outside of the potential to have like a viral post, right? Which we really can't control mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So you don't don't put your money on that. From a controllable perspective, comments are probably the most impactful thing you can do. Um, and just doing that at scale. I mean, even even 10, 15, 20 a day, 
like that's going to make a massive difference over the course of 30, 60, 90 days. Like your, your profile is going to be ridiculous after that period. You're, you're going to be surprised by the amount of growth you can do. And it's great because you can also be very targeted. You can say, you know, all right, I'm that tax professional guy. That's what I want to, I want to be known for whatever. You can find other people that already talk about that stuff and then just reply in their comments. And you know, the people that follow that guy are exactly who you'd want to follow you. So you know you're getting in front of the right people. There's no gamble of like, who's going to see this post? Is it the right person? Whatever. You just, you're going into the comments of one that already has distribution, that's already getting thousands of impressions and likes and comments and whatever. And if you get good at writing comments, you're going to get a shared percentage of that work that that creator's already done, right? You can tap into audiences that already exist. I mean, that, that, in essence, is one of the reasons why large creators continue to get larger, right? Is because, you know, once you hit a certain point, other people recognize you as an opportunity to grow themselves. And so like that Justin Welsh example, right? There's so many people that as soon as like they get notified the second Justin Welsh goes live and they try to be the very first comment, right? And you go onto his posts and there's so many comments that are well thought out, they're articulate, they're whatever. It's not because like Justin Walsh is amazing and, and they, you know, want to engage in conversation with Justin and whatever. It's because they know that a lot of people are going to see that post and a lot of people are then yeah, going to see their comment. Selfish isn't bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good for Justin. He benefits from it too. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's just the nature of it. Like that's why you see the big guys getting bigger and bigger and bigger works the same way in money, right? Rich people get richer, richer and richer. It's because like it attracts, it, it attracts more of the same, the bigger you get. And so when you can tap into other people's audiences and it doesn't have to be Justin Welsh with hundreds of thousands of followers. Like it could be somebody with 5,000 followers when you have a thousand or you have 50 or 500, right? Like just getting somebody who's a couple steps ahead of you and engaging with them and tapping into their audience, as long as it's the right audience and your comments are well thought out, there's a lot of growth that can happen there. And then the second thing that you said that I wanted to touch on was having like a support group, like having somebody to bounce ideas off of to go back and forth be like I did this and this you know went really well and I, I had this flop like have you done something like that did yours flop too or is it did my stuff just suck or you know whatever like having people like that to chat with is really important and I think some people who maybe don't have that right now hear heard you say that and we're like yeah that he's just lucky he's just got like a group like there's there's not people like like I can't dm people like that and I'm like it's not true like I have the same exact thing we're not like wizards of social interaction it's a volume game it's like when you talk to enough people you're commenting on people's posts you go back and forth you find people that you vibe with you find people that are at a similar stage as you you find people that have knowledge you don't have and you have knowledge they don't have and those conversations just happen if you let them happen if you engage with people in, the, in their direct messages if you comment regularly on their posts relationships form and then it's very easy to just be like, hey, I posted this today, send them a link. What do you think about this? It, it performed really well. I, I'm not quite sure why. And then they'll send you some notes on it. And then you see them post something. And you're like, hey, how did that go? I was thinking about talking about the same thing. I was going to say something about it tomorrow. Like, what? how's that post doing? Like, that kind of conversation leads to very beneficial relationships with people. And if you can just get even one or two of those, that that you know like are in your corner and you're in their corner and like you guys are supporting each other you're going to get so much better at, at at growing on linkedin so much faster 
Um, you know, and I think like people like Steven, people like myself, like we like to help people, right? So, you know, if you don't have that person, shoot one of us a DM and we'll probably have that conversation with you. We'd love to help more people, you know, get, get good at LinkedIn and get better with personal branding and all that kind of stuff. But I just wanted to touch on that because I think it's really important to have that. And I think some people might just dismiss you, that when they hear you say it because they don't see it as like a reality for them, but it, it's absolutely reality. So, yeah, I agree. Awesome. Um, we've got a couple more minutes here. I, I want to touch on um, what you're doing right now with like the LinkedIn coaching with helping other people get more successful on LinkedIn, um, you know, getting people to stop scrolling in the feed, doing ghost writing and ghost editing services, right? Like, tell me a little bit of like, how does all that work? How did you get into that from just going, I'm going to do this personal brand thing to now you're like, I want to help other people do this personal brand thing. Um, you know, like how, how, how did that happen and, and how's it going? Yeah, I haven't actually like started any of that yet. It's very kind of like inching toward it. So a lot of mm. how I positioned a lot of my branding on LinkedIn is like, obviously I'm open to it. I'm putting myself out there. Um, but you know, I'm not like actively DMing people trying to get business. Right. I'm not doing all this sort of stuff that you hear all these people about like, you know, generating leads like crazy. I'm just kind of, you know, putting myself in that kind of opportunity. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, you know, like I said, I'm still pretty busy with work. And so <laughs> right. um, not trying to be distracted there. But yeah, like I, I made I made Stop the Scroll, which is a digital product, um, which was really just kind of an accident. Um, I made, I mean, obviously my content strategy is, something that I've worked on for, you know, since day one. And during that process, I realized that it would probably make a really good digital product. And so pretty much the basis there is that, you know, I had, I realized early on that hooks are like one of the most important part of content. Mm. Um, so I just started acquiring different hooks that I saw were really cool or at least caught my attention. And then natural habit instinct is to templatize those. And so kind of break down like the, bits and pieces and convert them into reusable hooks. And so over time, I just started building the library for myself and then realized that it'd be helpful probably for other people to do the same. So I have I think like 400 hooks that are all templatized and categorized by different, you know, pillars and different categories, stuff like that. And then it obviously is like a extension of my content strategy. It's like six chapters with action items per chapter. And I just mm. kind of I wrote that for a couple of friends back in the day who were interested in LinkedIn and they kind of helped me build the hooks. And then, um, yeah, kind of the rest is from there. So yeah, I kind of doing a little bit of things like that. Um, working on a newsletter that hoping to get off the ground in July, which is going to be focused on like different strategies, different monetization methods, um, ideas that I'm kind of floating around also kind of like, TLDR roundup posts, like you missed mm -hmm. it, I saved it, sort of content, things that I catch my eye. Um, also growing Stop the Scrolls affiliate program. Um, that's kind of like been my main focus right now. Obviously, I'm a big affiliate marketing fan, yeah. but um, yeah, I think that there's a lot of value there. I've been having success right now with a couple people doing it, newsletters, um, podcasts, and trying to get that there with like a 50% commission structure, which is very mm -hmm. rare, I think, in the affiliate marketing space. But for sure. Um, yeah, just experimenting with different things, but also trying not to get too many bets on the table. Still kind of picking the things that I think are worth doubling down on in the short run and trying to kind of stay focused on those until 
they at least gain enough traction that, you know, we can kind of move to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. Focus is so critical. You know, I think everybody struggles <laughs> yeah. with the shiny object syndrome, right? Like, oh, I should be on LinkedIn. Oh, I should be on TikTok. Oh, I need a YouTube channel. I, I should start a blog. Right. Like I should do yeah. affiliate marketing. I've never done that before. Like I should, you know, like all these, these things, it's like, you know, if you just do one thing really, really well for a really long time, you'll be successful. And if you keep switching focuses every three months, six months, whatever, you're you're starting over every time and you're never going to get there. So um, I think you're on the right track, man. I think it sounds really good. I'm, I'm pumped for you. Your posts have been really killer, um, obviously grinding away, getting getting uh, up there and followers moving quickly. So love to see it. What are, you know, kind of like for anybody listening that that's looking to get to know you a little better, reach out to you, take any next steps if they want to work with you, you know, what does that look like? How can they find you? Uh, yeah, LinkedIn's definitely the best place for me right now. Um, I also have a website, which I've kind of been actively working on. It's called digitalmarketingpursuits.com. So you can find me there. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn's definitely going to be the best place. I'm, you know, on there pretty often and DMs are always open unless you're trying to pitch me something. So yeah, you can find me there. I slapped it in my about section that I do not reply to pitch slaps oh, on the God. DM. I do not reply. It's bad. It's so bad. All day, every day. Yeah, I just, if I see something, it's just like, are you looking for? It's like, I stop there and just like immediately delete it. It's like, sometimes, yeah. I mean, I've had probably one out of a million that I've like, I can see myself using this, but I'm still not going to reply. <laughs> dear, dear Steven. He hello, yeah. dear. Um, man, those yeah. are the worst. All right. Or the great. wrong I'm, name. <laughs> yeah, or the wrong name, right? <laughs> Mr. Schneider. Um, I'm putting some links in the description below this episode. That way you guys could just quickly click and go check Steven out. Absolutely go do that. Shoot him a DM. Let him know where you came from. And uh, again, Steven, I appreciate you for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Aiden. Pleasure.